Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Today, I have Lule Demise with me, and I'm really excited about this conversation. We connected over LinkedIn. She had a great Best Boss Ever story. And so this is probably one of my favorite formats where I get a chance to just find out from somebody who, who just heard the concept and felt inspired by it, who is your best boss. So thank you, Lule. Thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we connected. I'm so glad we connected. And just so everybody in the audience knows, kind of tell us a little bit about who you are just before we dive in. Yeah. So my name is Lule de Messe, and I am the US CEO of a, a fintech called eToro, which is a trading platform that offers self-directed investing instruments like stocks, options, and other things in the US, as well as globally. Amazing. Amazing. And so I'm going to dive right in. So tell me, who is your best boss ever? I think it would be ungenerous of me to say it's just one boss. I've had a collection of people that are either my direct managers or, you know, a few bosses up that ended up being like a mentor, mentor slash boss that really impacted my life. Just to give you a little bit of backstory, I'm from Ethiopia originally, so I'm a naturalized immigrant of the United States. So my first best boss was about... Five years into my time outside of business school, I was sponsored by a gentleman to be able to be a permanent resident in the U.S. because of the work I was doing. And he was so generous in the way that he apprenticed me and made sure that I learned the skills he did. One of the things that I learned, like some of the best bosses, is that they don't hoard knowledge. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, I feel like they think that knowledge is the thing they have to hold on to create value in what they do. And he was the exact opposite. He was so generous in the way he apprenticed me in the micro things and the macro things. And then he was really generous in terms of giving me opportunity to practice it out loud, whether it was presenting or being the lead in something. And so it was really interesting. And it was also something that taught me how, you know, your best bosses, your mentors, they come in different shapes and sizes. He and I could not have been any more different. He was from Connecticut, one of those like really rishi-pishi sounding towns. His favorite sport was golf. I, I know nothing about golf. And yet we were kindred spirits. And it was a lesson also in the fact that there's a core humanity when you find somebody who's a really good mentor or boss that really can connect to anybody on the planet. So I have to ask, what do you think was his inspiration to sponsor you and to mentor you? Here he has this person that, you know, is from a completely different part of the world. So not only are you learning business, but you're also learning kind of the culture and the way U.S. business operates, right? So what would be his inspiration to take you under his wing like that? I think that he really gravitated to my work ethic. Mm. Uh, He also saw how I didn't hoard what I learned. I think, you know, for a lot of people who are generous with their knowledge, they're a little bit more judicious about sharing it with people who are also going to share it with others. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I think he spent his time with me because he probably felt like he was sprouting another person in his image of somebody who was going to be hardworking, strong work ethic, which he had, but also who would pass it on, if you will. Mm-hmm. Part of it is, you know, I, because I grew up in so many different places, early on, by the time I was 18, I grew up in like four different countries slash continents. Wow. So I learned how to embody the person's story, how to live in their space. And I find that that if somebody is really sort of going to connect bridges and tunnels to you, that that disarms them, mm-hmm. that, that makes them more open. And so I think he, I think he appreciated that, that I right. didn't come in assuming I was not going to have, as I said, kindred spiritness with him, that he you know, I, I was interested in what he was doing and saying, and I didn't let, you know, perceived identity sort of blocks not to have that connection. And I think that that was appealing to him. That's really amazing because we're always trying to challenge leaders to think about who are you going to take under your wing and groom, right? And how it's an important part of a leader's responsibility to sponsor great talent. And so when I hear that, it just tells me, you know, it's really neat that he picked you and invested in you and gave you that that time. Can you tell us some stories and examples, you know, if we're trying to emulate that great behavior that he brought, you know, give me some stories and examples of how that looked. So part of it would be how he would, there was one situation where I had to put together a pitch, if you will, for a particular strategy we were pursuing. And he took time to have me tell the story back and forth to him, that apprenticeship that comes to it. He was a good mix of like very blunt feedback where it didn't work because I didn't need anybody to coddle me. But at the same time, you know, was very supportive and that sort of old adage of what improv artists tell you, he was a very much an and person. That also was a mindset that really was, I learned from him. The idea of like, building up somebody while you're still giving them incredibly, you know, tough feedback. I love that. Well, and interestingly enough, it sounds like one of the things that you'll hear over and over is if a best boss is coming from a really good place of trying to build you up, that tough feedback is welcomed. Yeah. I think it does take a certain you know, I think that you have to calibrate it with people. Some people don't have the thick skin to be able to handle it, but you're right in the sense that, you know, when we have that feeling of being able to be vulnerable to people, we're going to be able to hear them more. Exactly. That's fantastic. So what other bosses came to mind? It sounds like you you couldn't pick just one. <laughs> oh my goodness. I've, I can. I mean, I, and, and I'd love to tell you a few more. So I there was a CEO of a company I worked at called TD Ameritrade. His name was Tim Hockey, and he's your fellow Canadian. Uh, mm-hmm. He was honestly one of the wisest people I had encountered. The level of time he took to share what he learned, share what he knew, and asked questions as you thought out loud, and taught me the the, the art of helping somebody think through problems, whether it was their own sort of mental block or whether it was an actual business problem through the art of answering and asking questions. That's what I learned from him. 
And he was a great reader. He read a lot of books and he would share what his readings were. And I love, I love books as well. I love reading, whether it's about self-improvement, behavioral science, business, fiction, history, uh, the whole gamut. And he would, he had that kind of sort of wide swath appetite and he would share his books. And then he would literally like have a 15 minute book review conversation with me sometimes. And I think that that's the other thing is like, you know, bosshood is not about just the work. It's about how somebody taps into your humanity and what is your interest and connecting on that. And he was really good at that, even though he wasn't my direct manager. That's amazing. And, you know, I hear great leaders talk about being really well read and then using those ideas just to inspire more conversation, more thought. I think lots of us love that intellectual candy. You know, we like that new idea or something new to chew on. And so what a great way that he could inspire you on any given day of the week. And he passed on that habit even more. I mean, I loved reading before that, but I, it was a habit I, I really fortified after having encountered him. That's amazing. And then who else? And then my last boss was, my current boss is wonderful as well, but my last boss was a woman. Okay. And she was the head of a fairly sizable bank, consumer bank. And I ran the investment business under her. And she was formidable. She was like a lioness. She was both full of heart and full of head at the same time. And what I really sort of appreciated being under her stewardship was it really unleashed my desire to practice courage. Mm. I've always loved the idea of being courageous. I failed a lot when I was younger. So it also sort of, I learned it through that realm, right? I think that if you fail a lot, you either will be highly depressed or you become courageous, right? Yeah. I chose the other path, but she really taught me the art of courage in business, the art of courage in managing people and groups of people and allowed me to practice it on my own terms. Like, you know, a lot of times when you work for a very big personality, sometimes their personality can can not, not have room for others, right? Mm-hmm. You have to fashion yourself to that person's sort of style because they're such a big personality. Exactly. She was a master of being able to fill a room with her style but allow other big personalities to thrive in her orbit. That is talent. <laughs> that is incredible talent. And again, like, you know, part of it, as I said to you, is like, I really try hard to go where people are at. And I find that when I do that, the relationship starts from a place of not judging. And so they become more generous as well in the way they approach the, the relationship. So it wasn't always like that for everyone, but me and her were like that. And it was it was wonderful. You know, I, I went through the pandemic years with her and I'm in retail trading. And you can imagine retail trading had a huge sort of upsurge. We gained in usership in just during the pandemic period, what we gained the last 10 plus years, right? It was a a tenfold growth in, in, in a blip of a time. That was really adventurous. And it had all sorts of interesting benefits and also challenges. And she really let me sort of stretch my wings and be able to sort of drive the bus. And that was really like, that was amazing. Like, that is what I learned is like how to, because I'm a strong personality. Mm-hmm. So how to be a strong personality while you celebrate others that are strong personalities in the room. 
That's a very interesting and very cool concept that I I don't think a lot of people talk about or surface very often. And you're exactly right when you bring these really powerful personalities together, you know, it's it's like any sports team, right? You can have all the best individual players, but if that team doesn't know how to play together, it's, it's a, a failure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet when you have strong personalities that know how to play together, boy, do they they move mountains, right? Right. So the amplification force, the effect is is really high when you have that. Right. So can you give us any tips or specific examples of things that you saw them do that really helped drive some of those bigger ideas home? Like, you know, the art of courage and and leveraging these brilliant, powerful personalities. Like, give me some of the tips of like, how did this person actually yeah. do this? It's so, you know, it's interesting. The more I live on this earth, the more I realize so much is of that is like titration of little things you do and not necessarily some big playbook, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, leadership, in my opinion, is something you do every minute. And so every micro decision you take to interact with somebody is an expression of what kind of leader you are, right? So the one thing I'd say is like, so I'll give you an example. So with her, I had made a massive business decision that brought the company to a particular point where that decision didn't work out. And I called her up, I think on a Friday night, midnight, and I said, it's not going to work out. And we were, we were about to lose quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. And again, by this time, I had also learned sort of the, the tenets of leadership of the buck stopping here and leaders take all the failures and spread all the glory, right? Mm-hmm. So I opened that playbook and I fully expected her to agree with me. And I said, you know, this is no one's fault. This buck stops with me. If you have to do a playbook of what went wrong, it stops with me. The team did an amazing job. They went over and above, et cetera, and she listened to me. And I said, and if you want me to resign, I'd be happy to. Right? I, wow. I don't want to have a situation where there's a blame circle here. This is just, you know, that's what business is. We make bets and sometimes they don't yeah. work out. And she said, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> why do you think I hired you? Like, she's like, this is what happens. Leaders make bets. And what you just reacted as is the reason why there is no way in hell I would work so hard for you. And that was also really valuable for me to know that I worked for a leader that had that central sort of ethos of Mm -hmm. appreciating that the buck stops here, that appreciated that they don't roll crap downhill, right? Right. And I, and it made me realize like how deliberate she was in hiring me because that I, I showed that of myself when we in the process. Right. And it's great to see it in action when it mattered, when there was a loss. When there right? was when it was hurting and she could yeah, have just and this said is what I about I learned courage, right? Like learn mm-hmm. I learned how to be courageous. Courage is useless in words alone, right? It is actually tested when there's something to lose. Right. Right. Something lost. You know what I hear? There is an unconditional backing of you, which which is really cool when I think of, you know, if you think of like parents and the way, you know, kids experience love, it's like very different if we get conditional love or unconditional love. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And when she's saying, listen, like I hired you for you and your leadership, not because I knew every single day you were going to make every perfect decision and see the into the future. You know what I mean? We just, we couldn't, we couldn't hire somebody who could guarantee. 
on micro things. It is very rare that they do that on big, big mistakes, right? Sure. And you're right. It, 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 I don't know if it was unconditional because she was tough on me on a lot of things. Like, sure. again, back to like critique, et cetera. I don't know if it was so much unconditional as it was value driven. Right. And sometimes I think people assume like the reason I, I, I'm kind of shy from that unconditional word is sometimes people assume not being criticized is being unconditional. True. Right? And they yeah. can't hear critique in a way that is essentially trying to make them better, right? Mm -hmm. And so the unconditional, I'm always shy from words of like unconditional or safe. Right. I often tell people like, mm, there's no winning without risk. There's no right. winning without knowing that some conditions can break things. Right. But it's probably on the right wavelength when it comes to values. It just is there's something really cool about the fact that she still valued you as a team member in that exact Absolutely. moment. She yeah. hadn't decided to kick you off the team. She didn't say, oh, you know, you you it's missed true. the winning touchdown. You know, we're going to renegotiate your contract next year. You know what I mean? It was like precisely. And, and it's so funny because she's also like like most leaders have to let go of people. Right. They, sure. you know, in your career. That's what you do. Yeah. But what's interesting is the art I learned from her and from many others is that those decisions actually are made in the calm of day, not in the heat of failure. Mm -hmm. And the heat of failure, when you do those things, actually signals to the rest of the workforce that courage is punished. I really, really love that. And I, I work with that on my own clients all the time where we talk about the state of mind people are in when they make big decisions. And I think you you just nailed it, right? It's just that self-awareness or that emotional intelligence that allows you to make decisions from the right position, yeah. right? The right state of mind. That's amazing. So now I'm just going to ask your opinion. I work with a lot of organizations who are making decisions over investing dollars and building up best bosses and amazing leaders. I always like to say, what is the impact to the bottom line when you have a best boss ever in the business versus not? I think that more than even compensation, people want to be seen, valued, and developed. Yep. I'm not saying people want to be underpaid, but I think that compensation becomes the only conversation in the absence of those things. And so the price you pay for disruption and turnover and so many other things, and just our work life is the most of our lives. And just the mental health you provide and the cultural health you provide when you aspire to be a good leader is insurmountable, right? It's just unbelievable. And so it's incalculable, I mean. And so I think that it has one day, maybe we'll be able to have the metrics to be able to quantify this in a proper way that, you know, the bean counters will understand. But I think that ultimately, like, the only people that think in the form of compensation are the people that are not investing in being that kind of leader. Right. I completely agree. And when you think in your career of leaders that you worked with that maybe were more of a challenge for you to work with. They don't have to be the worst case stereo, but just ones that were a challenge. What are some of the things that they did that didn't work well for you or made it harder for you to be your amazing, talented self? 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think that I I would say that part of having a bad boss is where you are in your mental framework as well. Like if I had a bad boss now, I think I wouldn't be in a the same state that when I used to have bad bosses, right? Because mm-hmm. I was I wasn't aware of myself and I was unsure of myself. And so when you have somebody who's walking around with their own issues and lo- and their own self-esteem issues crashing into your own uncertainty, it's not going to be a good combo, right? Right. So I'd say the one thing I've noticed is low self-esteem Yeah, is one of the common threads I've seen. Yeah. Which is why I think people really have to work hard if they aspire to be leaders, to be whole people. There's nothing more dangerous than a powerful low self-esteem person. Right. right? You have to work on yourself and feeling fulfilled if you want to be a leader because you, you, you're you governing people's lives. Right. right? So the ones that, I feel like didn't serve me as well or others was people who I felt like had low self-esteem really, you know, felt much better when they pointed out all your failings, right? Right. Much better, never really, you know, had this philosophy of like, I can't compliment too much because that will make them, their heads bigger or they may leave us, right? Because mm-hmm. they might think they're so big. Like keeping somebody's wings tight and clipped is what's going to keep people in your company, right? If people are going to fly away from you, they're going to fly away from you. And I think, you know, the reality is if they do it thinking that you've added to their life, that you've just amplified your influence in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I've had those situations where I would deliberately think to myself, how do I make it so that I am taking this poison, ingesting it, but not passing it down? Mm-hmm. And that is when sort of like the old African adage of turning poison into medicine mm. became an art form for me. Wow. I've never heard that before. So this idea, so tell us a little bit more about this adage and this concept. Yeah. So, you know, like I would have a situation, like I had one boss who was just, who would just scream at people all the time. I'm sure he had his own issues, right? Like mm-hmm. for all I know. Or another one who only took credit for himself, never was generous about how he spread compliments. And, you know, I'd have one of those situations or was okay putting his team at risk, but distanced himself from, you know, either business risk or other things, right? Right. And I used to think that, you know, okay, so I would leave the meeting and I would say, okay, take a breath. And that's when I started adopting things like meditation. And again, like if you don't want to be a person that rolls hurt from you to somebody else, you have to figure out how to break that cycle. Right. So I would meditate, I would do something and then I would go into a meeting with my team and I would be a completely different person. I would, you know, you know, it was a tough thing where you did a great job. We're going to do this. These are the learnings. And again, like practicing what I wish somebody else was doing for me clumsily at that at that age, obviously, right? Yeah. As we, yeah. As we're forming, but really making sure that like I detoxed before I went into a meeting with them. I never did it, you know, perfectly all the time because we're all human. Sure. And I, you know, I also learned the site, sort of this, the art of like short circuiting my mistakes. So if I spoke to somebody harshly or if I did something very quickly after that saying, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't, I, that was not done well, you know? Yeah. Just quickly, like not letting people's mental sort of like what I call thought bubbles fester. Yes. And so, you know, I learned those things. I practiced those things. This is what I mean about like turning poison into medicine. And it's sort of like 
I think that that sort of rigor helped me because, you know, when you become a leader, that's exactly what happens. Your inbox is full of horrible, difficult to solve things, but you have to turn around and be authentically inspirational, not just with your words, but with your energy and your spirit. And so, you know, you have to learn how to turn poison into medicine if you want to be an effective leader. Right. I think that's amazing. So it's interesting because my last question for you, and you might have answered it, but I'm going to ask you anyway, if you had to teach or advise future leaders who are listening to this show right now, and they're trying to be best bosses in their own right, what tips would you give them? What would you tell them to focus on? You know, give them some words of wisdom as they are kind of walking back into their day, trying to live some of these new principles. So I think there are two buckets. One is hardcore techniques, right? So definitely be an avid reader of like management sort of techniques, behavioral science, all the things that sort of technically help you, right? It's already been written in the books. So there's no point in, there's nobody gets like originality scores in this. You're either a good thing or you're not, right? So the one thing I'd say is like, go read the books, listen to the podcasts like yours and everybody else, right? But the second thing I tell you is all of that is useless. In fact, I know a lot of people that know how to say all of those things, but behind the curtain are not, right? All of that is useless unless you work on yourself. Mm -hmm. Because you never, you know, you know how they say like leadership doesn't make people, it just reveals them. Right. Right. You have to decide what kind of human being are you going to be when you arrive because you will be revealed, whoever you are. I love it. That is a perfect ending to this amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it, Lule. And if people want to find you, go check out eToro and find you on LinkedIn. eToro.com and check us out. It's a fantastic community of investors. In terms of myself, I can either be found on LinkedIn or X now, I guess, not Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Excellent. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Of course. Good luck and, and nice to meet you. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.